to fight for what we got Cause you
clear. If she says, it's your decision, she means the correct decision should be obvious by now, it's what I just said. <laughs> if she says, I'll be ready in a minute, she means kick off your shoes and find a good game on TV, maybe even take a nap. Now, we want to be fair, so ladies, these are for you, okay? He says, he means, that you, that you in on our minds. If he says, I'm hungry, he means, I'm hungry. <laughs> if he says, I'm tired, he means, I'm tired. It's a little bit trickier here. If he says, what's wrong, and it's the first time he asks, he means, I don't see why you're making such a big deal out of this. If he says, what's wrong the second time, he says, what did I do? Tell me what you want. And if he asks, what's wrong a third time, he means, I guess sex is out of the question. <laughs> Thanks for playing, now go home and fight about it. You're welcome. Uh, love your spouse well. Get a sitter. Have a date night. Do the things that you once did that made them fall in love with you. Do them again. In so doing, you're loving and leading your family well. Another thing that has become a rhythm in many of our households is discipline. And getting into trouble again and again and again often comes in the teenage years, right? When they're still trying to figure things out. Now, my kids are young, but I have friends and family who have teenage kids or young adult children, and that comes with a whole new set of problems, right? For those of you with young adult or teenage children, there's hope, okay? You're not alone. For example, uh, check out this conversation. And just think, when did this conversation occur? It'll be on the screens. An angry father asks his teenage son, where did you go? The boy, trying to sneak home late at night, answers nowhere. Grow up, the father chides him. Stop hanging around the public squares and wandering up and down the street. Go to school. Night and day, you torture me. Night and day, you waste your time having now, this sounds like something that just took place last night, right? Those of you with teenagers, uh, is this just an irate dad with a defiant teenager here in the 21st century? No, it comes from ancient Sumerian clay tablets 4,000 years old. You are not alone, parents. This has been happening since the dawn of time. Your kids will rebel. Your kids will be stubborn. Your kids will talk back. It happens. You're not alone. We see this in the ancient Hebrew culture as well. Deuteronomy says this in chapter 21. Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. In such a case, the father or mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, refuses to obey. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town must stone him, what? To death. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you, and all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. That's a very serious thing. Are you a rebellious son or daughter, teenagers? You better be grateful you're not an ancient Hebrew. You imagine coming home late at night, curfew's 11, you show up 11.30, mom and dad just start throwing rocks at you. Put you out, what are you doing? Quote that to your kids on your way home from church if they keep disobeying. I read about a dad who was trying to get his son to go to sleep, but his son just kept yelling, Dad, can I have a glass of water, please? The dad says, no, go to bed. 
Dad, I'm thirsty. Can I please have a glass of water? No, go to sleep. Dad, I'm really thirsty. Can you give me a glass of water? No, and if you ask me one more time, I'll spank you. Silence. And the boy says, Dad, when you come in to spank me, would you bring me a glass of water, please? <laughs> discipline is biblical. Look at Proverbs. Here's a few verses. 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. The Bible's pretty blunt today. Proverbs 13.24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. 29.17. Discipline your children, and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. So we should be disciplining our kids. Okay, but here's the takeaway. This is important. We're looking for progress, not perfection. And this is a big deal. This is a big misnomer that we have often struggle with as a culture. The problem is, as our kids get older, we see them as a reflection of ourselves. And so when they fail or fall, we take that personally, and it makes us look bad, right? So when we get our self-worth wrapped up in our children, we actually become ineffective parents because we're not leading them. We're controlling them so that they make us look good. That's not the love we're called to. I mentioned last week that my daughter Ivy just started walking. And when a child learns to walk, it's so fun, right? It's like they stand, and then it's, you know, and, and then they take a couple steps and they fall down. And you're like, oh, sis, that was so good. Great job, great job. And they kind of stumble back up, and they take another couple steps. And you're like, yes, keep going, keep going. And then they fall, and you're like, oh, that's OK. Keep going, you're doing great. When she falls down, do you see that as failure? No, of course not. You see it as progress, right? So why then when our kids turn 8, 9, and 10, and they fall, or they mess up, why do we think that's a failure? Why do we not see it as progress? We need to see it as progress and give our kids the freedom to fail and not make them think that they we've lost our love for them just because they messed up. And I get it. We all lose it on our kids at times, okay? That's okay. God's not mad at you for that. You're not a bad parent. We've all been there. But we become a home of love and a place of grace. When your kids are having their own kids, way down the road, they're not going to look back at the, the times that we yelled at them or got mad at them. That's not what they're going to try and build. What they're going to try and build is a place of grace for their own kids, for your future grandkids. That's what they're going to remember. Because love is transformative. Love is transformative. Routine and rhythm. Routine and rhythm for our homes. Uh, church is a part of our rhythm and routine. It's what we do on Sundays. And if I wasn't a pastor, it would still be a part of our rhythm and routine. Now, there's a bit of pushback in our culture about the church uh, because it's like, I love Jesus, but I hate organized religion. And I just want to let you guys know, Jesus hated organized religion too. Uh, he replaces religion with himself. And I've been hurt by people within the church, and I've seen the underside of church politics being in this thing for over 15 years now. I, I know that the church isn't perfect. It's a dysfunctional family but it's my family. 
each of us is called to help the church be the radiant bride of Christ that we're called to be, not just complain about the negative aspects. In the early church, they met together. That was their rhythm, and it should be ours. You look at Acts chapter 2. It says this at the end. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Uh, in the, the Greek, there's actually a definite article there before prayer. So it reads, the prayers. Meaning that there's like a liturgical service that they would devote it to. It wasn't just, okay, I devoted themselves to prayer and the apostles' teaching, so I read the Bible, and I pray in my own room, and I'm good to go. No, it says they devoted themselves to the prayers, to the coming up together as a community. There's something special that happens about taking time out of your week and getting together with a community of sinners, trying to love God and love people in a greater way. We are all flawed. People let us down. And as your pastor, I will let you down. Our staff will let you down. There's no such thing as a perfect church. If you find one, don't go because you'll ruin it. Okay? <laughs> We're all sinners. There's something about pursuing Jesus together that increases our ability and capacity to love God and to love people. My son, Dex, loves the daily rhythm and routine of our home, especially bedtime. And I'm going to let you in on some family secrets this morning. Every night, every single night, as Dex lays down, we pray with him. And uh, a couple of years ago, it was Sarah's dad's birthday. And Sarah's dad is Papa to our house, to our kids. And so uh, we uh, go to get ready for bed, and I lay Dex down, and then as Dex is praying, he says, and I pray for Papa's birthday to be safe. And I go, oh, that's, that's a sweet prayer, son. And then, uh, you know, um, the next night happens, and he goes, as we're praying, pray for Papa's birthday safe. And I was like, okay, okay. And then, like, this happened three, four nights in a row, and I let it slide, right? He's like three um, or two at the time. And after about, like, eight or nine days of this, I go, hey, son, um, it's not Papa's birthday anymore. And so it's okay if we don't pray for Papa's birthday to be safe. And he goes, but I do want Papa's birthday safe. And I go, okay, son, sounds good. Now, for the last two years, we've been praying for Papa's birthday safe. I'm not sure if my father-in-law is like a daredevil, but if you ever wanted to go like bungee jumping or skydiving, go on your birthday, Papa, because it's the safest day ever. It is so covered with intercessory prayer. So then after we say amen, I walk out the door, and then he says, Dad, Dad, are we going to play Dad Wait? And I go, yeah, we're going to play Dad Wait. And Dad Wait is where I, I, I close the door, and then he goes, wait, Dad, wait, Dad. And my hand's on the door handle, because it happens every night. And I open it up, and I go, what's up? And he goes, um, I need to tell you something. So I walk up to the bed, and he goes, I need to have a good night so I can play with you a while. And I go, all right, son. And just for the record, like, I'd still play with him if he doesn't have a good night-night, but this is just what we do. So then I go back outside, I close the door, and then he goes, wait, Dad, wait, Dad. I open the door, and he goes, I need my water. Close the door, and I've already got the water in my hand, and I go bring it to him, he drinks his water, and we say, he, uh, you know, I love you one more time, and that's it. This is every single night without fail. Several years now in running. He loves it. 
But ever since he was a baby, uh, every single night, Sarah and I will pray with him and I. That's our rhythm with our kids. That's our routine. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says this, pray continually. If you've never memorized scripture, here's an easy start. Okay? Pray continually. We talked a couple weeks ago that prayer is the parenting principle endorsed by Jesus. Bring your kids to Jesus. Constantly pray for them. Or as Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians, pray for them continually. And as important as it is to have healthy and loving routines and rhythms, it's also important to break them. Right? Shake it up every once in a while. And don't let anyone know. Do a movie night. Dance party. Breakfast for dinner. Picnic. Go get ice cream. Movie night. Go on vacation. It doesn't have to be expensive. Borrow someone else's house in town. And just trade houses. But when you, there's something about getting out of our couch in our regular routines and comfortable atmosphere where memories can be made. It's often these moments, these trips, that are the most formative and that we remember the most, right? Every single one of us can remember those things that our parents did when we were kids. Uh, that, that time we went to the lake. That time we went to the ocean. Remember when we went to the cabin or to the baseball game? We all remember these moments. There are times when we break our rhythm and routine and we make more memories. We cherish those moments in our own families. Our kids do as well. And tonight could be one of those moments for you and your family, just a break from the normal routine. Uh, it's the whole reason why we're doing this family barbecue. We're going to have like a lip sync battle for kids, which is just, hey kid, what, what do you want to sing? And they get up on the stage and they pretend they're Beaver or Timberlake or whatever, and they just sing and we laugh and we clap. Uh, we're going to have a water balloon toss with kids and moms and dads and grandparents. It's going to be awesome. I want to see some grandmas and grandpas just running to catch those balloons. Uh, we're going to have music and great food. We're having steak sandwiches, by the way. That's reason enough, I think, to show up. I want to write the worship end up. Uh, we close with this. And I want to get real specific and real practical. I want to give you a prayer to pray for your homes, for your families. And this prayer has really, really drastically affected me as a father, as a husband, um, and myself just as a follower of Jesus. And this is a prayer that I want to encourage you to pray throughout your routines, whether you're driving to school, whether you're eating breakfast, whether you're watching TV. Here's the prayer. Jesus, help me be fully present. That's it. Jesus, help me be fully present. We've all been those parents, right? Or we've been in a, in a situation, a room, a social setting, where people are around us and we're there, but we're not there. We're on our phones. We're doing something else. Our mind is elsewhere. We're physically present, but we're not fully present. Jesus draws us into real life, abundantly, and it's right in front of us. And we all could do this, right? It really makes a difference in our lives. And the Bible says so. Uh, we read a verse in Philippians uh, a couple weeks ago, right? To whatever's pure, whatever's noble, what's admirable, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But the Bible says so, but also the latest studies in neuroscience tells us the same. We can now prove that anything negative, here's a picture of the brain, we can prove, scientists can prove, that anything negative, fearful, or hateful, the mind attaches to, like Velcro. 
So if something bad, something negative happens, someone throws a comment at you, it sticks to our mind and attaches like Velcro. And you feed it for days, weeks, months, right? That, that comment someone made, that text you received, that tone of voice, it sticks to us like Velcro. And here's the opposite. Anything positive, happy, joyous, loving, grateful, they're like Teflon. If you have a positive moment like, oh, isn't that beautiful? You have to actually savor it. Stop, think about it, and savor it for 15 seconds for it actually to imprint on your mind. That's why we can go to a carnival and, and go, wow, isn't that nice? Oh, that's cool. That's amazing. And not be changed by it. You actually have to focus in on the moment for 15 seconds for it to actually attach to our minds. Why do I let that negative comment that someone texts me affect me, but I'm not changed by the smile of my daughter? Because it imprints them right away. Velcro. We have to retrain our minds to choose to be fully present, to see the beauty, the joy, the laughter, the love, the life right in front of us. Whether we're driving to baseball practice, whether we're getting them cereal, the same cereal that they have the last seven days, whether it's watching TV with our family, look at their eyes. Savor that look. Savor that moment. If you don't savor it, if you don't savor joy, it doesn't stay. It's got to be consciously, deliberately, intentionally. This transforms our routines and rhythms. So no matter what you've got going on, be fully present. That's the heart of God. Be fully there. Whatever is praiseworthy, excellent, beautiful, holy, admirable. Think about such things. Let's let the negative fade. Let's let the negative become Teflon and bounce right off. And let's focus in on the joy and the goodness and the love and the abundant life all around us. God, I pray in Jesus' name that that is true for our homes. That our, our homes become places of grace. Places of abundant love. Places that um, are not places of perfection, but of progress. And let us lead the way in that. Help us to love our spouses as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let us be a loving mom and dad. No matter our context, whether single, married, divorced, God, let us be the kind of people that our kids look up to and say, I want to be like mom. I want to be like dad. And God, I pray that your supernatural love would be evident in us, no matter where we are, whether it's in our homes, with our families, or whether it's in our jobs or our workplaces. I pray that we would be loved and become loved, no matter the circumstance. We love you and praise you, God. Open up our eyes to see the abundant life all around. Let us be fully present. This is your call. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close with this last song to you? All things have passed away. Your love and stay the same. Your constant grace